away. That's why we're just such a cozy little intimate group this morning. Because uh, <laughs> people have a tendency to, you know, uh, if it's not sunny, you know. Anyway, let's not go there. But it's good to have you here. Hey, you know, just to let you know, Christmas is arriving if you didn't realize already. Uh, it's on the horizon, it's coming over, and it's going to be upon us before we know it. Uh, so Christmas Day, did you know, was a Sunday this year. Wow, so we're going to have a we're going to have a hooter of a Christmas service on uh, on Sunday, uh, the 25th of December, and it's going to be just the 8:30 time slot. Is that cool? So all you guys are really easy with that because you you're here already. But for all the 10:30s, they might find it a little bit more uh, uh, difficult. But anyway, we'll help them and support them through that, won't we? And uh, so we're going to have a great time. It'll just be the one service, 8:30 on Christmas Day. We'll put more seating in. Uh, we'll do whatever's necessary, but we'll go for it. Hey. Now, on that, on that Christmas day, there's going to be uh, a bollocks of a children's choir. So we want to invite uh, all those uh, children and parents you might like to say, yeah, my child would love to be a part of that. So please um, see Kate uh, today or make contact with her and she'll make note of that and point you in the right direction. So that'd be great, children's choir on uh, Christmas day. We're going to have a great time. Um, I'm going to be, I missed out last year. I heard about it. Uh, and uh, so I'm not going to miss out this year, are we here? Uh, the other thing, just to let you know, our children's church end of year celebration will be happening on the 4th of December, uh, starting at the 10.30 time slot. So what that means is uh, all the children will have their break up, but it'll mean um, uh, there'll be water slides uh, and all that type of thing. So uh, Michelle just asked me to remind all the parents, if you're bringing children, to make sure you bring your sun safe stuff, Swimmers, etc., hat, towel, etc., for the water fund. And apparently, uh, the water slide is big enough for adults. Is that okay? So, all the adults can all jump in as well, and it'll be open till 1 30 in the afternoon because we're going to have a barbecue as well. So, wow, a big day. So, um, if you wanted to be a part of that barbecue, uh, please just uh, make note at the information desk cause, and you can pay uh, today or I'll pay through that FPOS. If it's through FSOS, just grab the little uh, receipt and give it. And uh, we'll record that. Okay, there'll be burgers, there'll be sausage, uh, on bread, etc. So that's happening. Is that cool? Um, and you need to get, uh, please, if you're going to come, please pay the barbecue lunch by Wednesday the 30th of November. So that's 10 days time. So you've got 10 days. Brilliant. I think that was about it. The youth are having a wild night this Friday night, Hawaiian night, groupies, look out, dress up, you know, the gig. So, um, uh, Brilliant. I love the time this morning, this opportunity just to press in, draw near to God, worship Him. Uh, he, he never, he never uh, disappoints uh, in, his, uh, in the sense of His presence and uh, just that peace and joy that he, he gives us. He says in His presence is fullness of um, joy, hey? Uh, I think the world needs a bit of joy. Uh, uh, and, and I think the world try to, tries to give it, but it never really fulfills. Because uh, you know what? It's, it's a bit like joy for a moment and then it goes again. And you've got to find something else to fill that void. I know God uh, just constantly, He gives us true joy, incredible peace in our lives. So, uh, hey, this morning we're going to continue uh, just with our uh, series. And the last week was uh, stealing, apparently. Uh, no, I knew about that. I read the message. Uh, so I know what it was about. But this week uh, we're just going to look at another one. Uh, and... Um, it is, and uh, of course, what's it got to do with us? What in the world were the Ten Commandments? I mean, they're 3,500 years ago, they were given to Moses, to the newly constituted or newly new people group called the nation of Israel. 
uh, three and a half thousand. And, and sometimes we can think, and, and of course, the nation of Israel had just come out of 400 years of slavery. And uh, I, I, you've got to realize that God was pretty good to the nation of Israel because over, after four centuries of slavery, you haven't got any social system. You haven't got any um, you know, um, community framework. Uh, you know, you're not quite sure how to, how to live together. So God establishes these incredible principles. We call them the Ten Commandments so that they could do life well and live the very best version of what God's got for them in life. So um, uh, I, I think God was incredibly gracious. And, you know, some people can say that today, well, the Ten Commandments are a little bit old and, and thus obsolete, a little bit irrelevant. And uh, the truth is... Uh, um, we haven't done any better, really. <laughs> than the ten- I've never seen any, any laws that sometimes we write, and, and you know, I know there's some great laws out there, but I don't think we've done any better than the Ten Commandments. Would you agree? We can't modernize uh, not murdering someone. You know, um, it's murder's murder, you know. Uh, so, um, y- you know, we've got to be aware of that. Uh, because, you know, I, I think we've got better living standards, but sometimes we haven't got better moral standards. We haven't got any better with our moral standards. We might enjoy the, the wonderful things of in a modern society, but, uh, gee, sometimes it can be a trap too. So anyway, so they're not obsolete, but you know what they are? They're absolute. Now, the word absolute just means unchanging. It means set in stone. Uh, it means, uh, I- even though we try to change them and say, well, you know, there won't be any consequences if we do that against that, that principle. No, no, there is. They're, they're actually, if, if you didn't know, when we were created, humanity was created, they were, they were the very essence of it, it, it put into our nature. Uh, we were created with them, uh, those, those principles, because they're part, parts of God's unchanging nature, and He created us in His own image. And so they're very much... Get, can be a part of our nature, but we see people choose to ignore them, and and unfortunately to their own peril. Um, but so, so God's timeless commandments are timeless, but they're also timely, timely for today. So uh, let's look at uh, number ten today. Uh, it says this Exodus uh, chapter twenty verse seventeen. It says, uh, "You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife." nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Um, I was feeling pretty good halfway through that commandment because I've never coveted my neighbor's donkey. I don't know about you. I've never had a desire to get grab someone's donkey. But uh, to be totally honest, uh, when it says don't covet your neighbor's house, there's times when I've got in the mail those lottery tickets you can buy or those martyr prize homes. And, you know, I've never actually bought one. And, um, but um, uh, the truth is I open them up and I unfold the brochure and I have to look at the house. I don't know if you've ever had to. I've just got to look at the house, look at the design. Look, oh, and then, and then this thought comes, what would I do if I had that? And then the temptation, it's only $10, uh, comes. And in the end, I, I never have actually, uh, because um, it's okay. Uh, I think I've settled in my heart that I'm happy with the house I have. But, you know, there's always the dream, isn't there? And I, and I make up these little thoughts in my head. You know, Lord, if, if someone else bought it, you know, I wouldn't be literally buying it. And, and if I won it, then you know what, Lord, I'd sell it. And, you know, I'd make sure that you got the tenth of at least of that money, you know, and I'd trust the dream or, or, you know, what we could do. But in the end, I don't know, is that coveting? 
Maybe. Well, let's talk about that, hey? Uh, let's talk about it. Because coveting, or, or the word, is not a, a word that we use in society today. You don't walk around going, well, I'm just coveting my neighbor's donkey, you know. You don't say that, do you? I'm not looking over the fence and wishing I had their house or, or whatever. You don't say those type of things. But what it is, is a concept of wanting what is not ours to have. It's just wanting, that's a simple thought. Another simple th- uh, definition is this, acquiring, it, it, sorry, it's the desire to acquire someone or something uh, that is uh, as your possession. Okay, so that's the basic, uh, uh, simple definition of it. And uh, uh, it's interesting to talk about this because we see some of the other commandments that we've looked at so far, whether it's speed, uh, you know, make, not make other idols, keep the Sabbath, uh, don't steal, honor your mum and dad, don't murder. But this commandment is slightly different in that the 10th commandment goes beyond the surface level of our actions and actually cuts down uh, uh, to the level of our hearts uh, because every other commandment has to do with our actions, but this commandment speaks, um, of course, to my intentions. Okay? It speaks to my intentions. And, and uh, it has to do with my motives and not just my emotions. And, and the truth is God's saying, I don't want you just to look good and proper and moral on the surface. I don't want you just to do right. I want you to be right on the inside. I, don't, I just don't want you to do something on the outside that's not sincere on the inside. Okay? And, and, um, and to deal with covetousness is to deal with the heart attitude of wanting what is not ours to have. And it's an inside kind of job, isn't it? It's something that's happening in here. I mean, we see it with our eyes and we, we look at it. It's a very external thing, but it can get into our heart. It can get to the point where we just want that. And sometimes you've got to be careful because the covetedness or wanting what others have got deals with our heart attitude. And it also, um, you've got to be careful. And, and maybe someone said this. I love this, this thought. Covetedness is, ins- is dealing with or, or thinking about, sorry, covetedness is thinking about having an insatiable desire to acquire. We just start to think about it and think about it and think about it. And, that the, and you can't then stop yourself from trying to get that thing. So hopefully I've just given you some clear indication of what this word really means. Is that cool? Um, the truth is, uh, when I talk about all that stuff, it's quite challenging because I think from my very first conscious thoughts of my life, uh, that covetedness has been there, or coveting things has been there. If you were to think about it, do you know what I mean? I I remember, even as I was growing up at school, um, there was a thing called tuck shop. Do they still have that? They don't probably call it that. What do they call it? Canteen? I don't know. But who knows what I'm talking about? Tuck shop, okay. It's tuck shop still far out. It brings okay. Well, anyway, uh, um, if I was really blessed, maybe once a week I'd get a dollar for tuck shop. Now that's you can appreciate uh, financially. A dollar was enough to buy tuck shop in those days because you could get a sausage roll for about thirty-five cents with sauce. You could get a uh, you could get a chocolate milk for about another thirty-five, and then you could buy the ultimate of all type food types. Ultimate of what I wanted in life. If there's one thing I wanted to eat at Tuck Shop, it was this. It was these cream buns about this long with pink icing that was about 15 mil across the top. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, yeah. 
Yeah, let's just, let's just go right now. Let's just go to Woolworths and grab one. But anyway, so they were the ultimate thing. If I could have one of those a week, and I, not every week did I get one, but I'd use 20 cents of my dollar to buy one of those. The sausage roll was nice, the, the chocolate milk was great, but the cream bun. The, well, it was a cream, I don't know if it was a cream, but it wasn't cream, it was just icing. Icing, thick, like just... And every now and then, I, I go to Woolworths and I see one, and I've been known to buy one or two. Quite literally, it would only be one or two, but gee, I had these incredible moments of reminiscing and flashbacks and just, <laughs> just you know. And, but I don't usually buy them because if I take it home, I have to, I nearly consume the whole thing, and I think I've got a problem there, so I've got to not go there. <laughs> so, um, but you know what? The thing about this tuck shop business was there was a guy in my class who every day of his life, I'm not just talking about once a week, every day of his life he'd get at least $5, he'd bring it to tuck shop. He never had a cut lunch in his life, never had a made lunch. Five, at least $5. And I said to him one day, he said, how do you get five bucks, at least five bucks every day of your life? He says, my dad just gives me the money. Mate, I used to think about that. I used to think about, I, if I just had $5 a week, I could have a pink icing bun every day of my school life. Wouldn't do much for my health, but boy, I'd be, I'd, you know, I would be pretty, it'd be nice. Um, so, you know, you know, there's things like that, that, you know, I have these moments where I just think, Oh man, I so desire that. And it's amazing how it can play on your heart today when you see that and you think, I just want that. And then you just got to stop yourself. Have you ever been in a restaurant and coveted someone else's meal? Have you ever ordered the chicken salad because you just know that you need to get a little bit healthier eating? And then someone in your table or your friends or someone in another table gets the plowman's platter. And it's got the salami, it's got the cheese, it's got everything. It's got carbs piled high. But you know, you look at your lame chicken salad and say, why did I buy the chicken salad again when I could have had that? I know. <sighs> I just want that. And then there's the people who wear the latest trends in clothes and shoes. And you think, I've got to have that. You never tell anybody because you don't want anybody to know that you're you know, you know, secret desires, but I've got to have that. And you go out and get that, but 12 months down the track, it's obsolete because that trendy person has got the latest, and now you want that. Do you remember the many, many, many years ago before my time, apparently ties were really wide, like really wide. I never had one, but it was before my time. But in my time... Ties went from the extreme wide to the really skinny. I've got one of them. Who's got a skinny tie? Okay, still. And now ties are back in the medium. You know, they're about, about the, the trend is now just a nice, simple, balanced, you know, not too wide, not too skinny tie. We, I reckon if you just keep one of each, it'll come back again. <laughs> Guarantee it. That's the way, because that's the reality of the clothing market, isn't it? It can be in one year and out the next. It can change. It can be very, very frivolous uh, in what's new and what you need. And you know, there's clothes in your cupboard, like there's clothes in my cupboard that I've only wore maybe two or three times. And you know, because uh, I've just got too many. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Not really, but you know, in some ways I think, why? 
why instead of 10 shirts, don't I just have four? What, what can I do with just four? You know, I, anyway, I think it's got something to do with this whole thing I'm talking about this morning. Do you know what I'm saying? So let me just say this. Let me just let you off the hook for a moment because desires are not wrong. There's nothing wrong with having desires. We're created to have desires, and the Bible says that God gives us the desires of our heart. He gives us the desires. And, and you, know, have, you and I can have good, legitimate desires. And we have desires for pleasure, joy. We have desires to belong. We have desires for security. We have desires for identity, comfort, adventure, companionship. You know, th- there's nothing wrong with those desires. And in fact, they're all good and legitimate desires that God gives us in our heart. The problem comes not because we have desires necessarily, but the problem comes when we try to fulfill legitimate desires by illegitimate means. That's when it's not, that's when it goes wrong. And this is what the ten, Tenth Commandment speaks to. It speaks to because our hearts becomes consumed, not with gratitude of what we've got, but with envy for what we don't have. Okay? And who knows, uh, that's going to color the whole way that we live our lives, and that's going to bleed into our behaviors. And when it bleeds into our behaviors, it has a tendency to want to consume us. I just want that. We're, we're, we're creatures that love comfort, we're creatures that love joy, and we have a tendency to steer away from anything that's difficult or hard. But that joy and comfort can be all-consuming, and we've got to just gain the, get the latest, the greatest, or whatever it's going to take for me to feel happy. And that's when it can start to destroy us, when we start to just got to have it, got to have it. And it doesn't help Church, I'm not telling you anything new today, but it doesn't help us that there is an international industry that exists, did you know, to inflame your desires. There's an internet, it's possibly this morning as you flick through your phone, you saw it. I know lately this week uh, on my emails, I would have received 20 emails about a thing called Black Friday. I don't know what Black Friday is. What is it? It's a, it's a marketing tool, isn't it? It's a sales day. Was it, when is it? I don't know when it is. But anyway, I would have had to, you know, delete, delete, delete. I should just block, 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 shouldn't I? Anyway, um, there's a whole, you know, this, this whole industry is called advertising and marketing. And the mark, they make their money by fanning into flames desires and creating new ones within you, new desires. And just to give you some context, Australia in 2019 spent 1.7 billion dollars 1.7 billion dollars on advertising now that's on, on just retail so that's just clothing and white goods you know fridges and computers not not talking about housing or real estate or or uh, cars or um, uh, any of that type of accommodation or travel it's not talking about that it's just 1.7 billion alone on just retail wow and that's not what they bought is just what they spent on making sure that we buy. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of money, a lot of talented people who are dedicated to manipulating our desires and creating new ones. And, uh, and if you and I are going to be totally honest, then we could all admit that the reality is no matter how much we swipe or how much we scroll or no matter how much we shop or how many shoes we buy, no matter how many relationships we go through or how many cars we have, there will be still this inner desire, I just... Don't have enough. Rockefeller was once asked, he's, he's a millionaire, American millionaire, billionaire. He's, uh, and I've said this before, he's, he was asked, oh, how much is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? He says, 
uh, just a little bit more, that's enough. Just a little bit more. And that seems to be the nature of humanity sometimes, the bad side of humanity, just a little bit more. If I, I just don't seem to have enough. And, and as I was contemplating that, I realized that that's not new to our generation. And it's certainly not new to even, the, even this last century. Because as I look even um, through ancient, ancient um, uh, cultures and ancient lives and ancient uh, tribal groups, it, it was right back then, even in the Old Testament part of our Bible, um, Israel itself did, as they did this as they wandered from God and found satisfaction apart from God. They found, and it was always the case. It, was, it seems to be the history of, our, of, of the Jewish people. They'd draw near to God and then they'd fall away. And then God, something would happen where they'd be taken captive or, you know, and they'd draw near to God and then they'd fall away. And depending on the king that they had at the time, um, they'd, um, you know, they'd, uh, the king would be godly and he would uh, encourage and press the people to worship God and they'd do that. And then there'd be a king, next king would be ungodly and they'd fall away from God. And it was a bit of a, up and down kind of relationship they had with God. And, and there was a, a gentleman called Jeremiah. He was a, a young man, a prophet. And, and in chapter 2 of, the little, of, of a book, in, it's not the littlest book, but it's one of the books in the Old Testament. In chapter 2, verse 13, uh, God says, speaks through Jeremiah and he says, My people commit two sins. First sin is they forsake me. They walk away from me. Um, and, then, and, then, and then God says, but I'm the spring of living water. He, he described himself, God described himself as a spring of living water. And then the second sin, Jeremiah, through, as God spoke, he says, they have dug their own cisterns. Do you know what a cistern is? It's a tank of water. Uh, whatever you want to call it. It's a, it's a well or whatever. And, and then the scripture says, but these cisterns are broken. They cannot hold water. And so, so Jeremiah is saying, people have abandoned God. They've turned from the spring of living water. And so who knows that just because you turn away from God doesn't mean you stop thirsting. And it doesn't mean you stop having appetites. It just means you start to try to satisfy your appetites and thirst with different things. Different things. And, and, and Jeremiah says that Israel turned away from God and they thought that this or that or this experience or that item would satisfy them. But what they found was every time they turned from God to something else, it actually was like a broken cistern or a broken um, body of water or a container of water. And so they would fill it up and it would drain and leave them empty again. And they just kept on looking for the next body of water, but it was a broken cistern. And isn't that a picture of our own hearts, how our hearts operate? how our hearts can operate because we try to fill our lives with things other than God and every time we try to fill it um, um, with something other than God then well it's um, whether it's that partner that promotion that upgrade on our computers or whatever it might be we find it fills for a moment and then it tends to leak out and evaporate because our hearts were never made for more stuff our hearts were made for God alone for God alone now, please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we should just abandon all stuff and throw it out and not live in houses or do No, no, no. I'm just saying, remember what I said, there's good desires that we have, but we just, legitimate desires, but we abandon the legitimacy by trying to gain things in an illegitimate way or an unnecessary way or a way that really doesn't do us any good or adding uh, to something that we already have but we just want the updated version when we really don't need it. So 
as I contemplate all these thoughts, I started to ask myself the question, how do we handle this uh, covetedness? How do we respond to it? How do, what would be handy to understand? And you would have started to pick up on some thoughts already, but you know what? We've got to see through the illusion of it, the illusion, because realize and keep reminding ourselves that covetedness or wanting what others got that we should not have is based on a mirage. You know what a mirage is? Um, you know, you know, if you were to drive uh, on a long, uh, incredible road, as you're driving along a straight road, and you can see into the distance on a hot day, and ahead of you, you see lo- what looks like it's a haze. It almost looks like a little body of water, and you, you get to that point, and it's not there. It was just a, an illusion. Uh, the same is said of sometimes in the desert, as people walk, they see a haze. Uh, it, it's, uh, but what it is, is a, the water evaporating from the land, apparently, and it creates a bit of a haze, something like that. Anyway, it's an illusion. It's not really there, and, it, and we... And we go after it, but it's not there. We get to that point, it's not there. It promises contentment and fulfillment, but few, if any of the things we covet, bring us either of those things. Few of them ever bring real contentment, real fulfillment. Do you know 70% of the people in the world who win a large bodies of money, money through Powerball or lottery or whatever they call it in the world, 70% of the people... Uh, they either they spend all that they have that they've spent that money or lose that money within five years or less, and unfortunately associated uh, uh, with it, 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 it's it's really sad because associated statistically with people who lose the money within five years are broken relationships, depression, and suicide. Wow. So money doesn't always give everything that it's made out to be. Praise God for it. We need it. We've got to, but we just need to manage it. As the Bible says, you can't, don't love it. Just be thankful for it and use it wisely. Um, so money promises so much, but it's like the cistern uh, that the, has a hole, and the money's wasted and ends up with nothing. Jesus actually, he actually tells a story uh, about um, to the disciples, and he warns them about covetedness. And he says in Luke chapter twelve, he says this to them: Take heed. And beware of covetedness, for that one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Okay? One's life doesn't consist in the abundance. And then he spoke a parable to them. He says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plenty. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater ones, and I'll store all my crops and my goods. And then I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many good uh, many good." Goods, sorry, laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those whose then whose will those things be which you have provided? So it is he who lays up for treasures for himself, which is not rich towards God. My goodness, there's a million, there's a lot of messages right there in that passage. But Jesus is basically talking about uh, being covetous, and he creates, and he says it creates an illusion. That stuff. And things will satisfy. And he says, be aware of that. Be aware of that. See what he says right at the start? He says, come on. Take heed. Be aware. Be aware. Be aware what's sucking you in. Be aware of what's grabbing your heart. Be aware um, uh, of the stuff. And he says, uh, be, because you have, uh, you know, the things you have, uh, be aware of that. If your life doesn't consist of all these things, don't base your happiness, your identity, your peace levels on what you have because what you have can soon disappear. It can be illusion. It can be here today, gone tomorrow. Be aware of the illusion of it. 
It might satisfy for a moment, but then it's gone. Don't base your life on it, you know. Uh, don't, rule your, don't rule your life. It's not that we can't have, be looking forward to things. It's not that we shouldn't be, be excited about things. I mean, but ultimately, what's going to satisfy? You know, I, I get excited about Christmas Day. I think, wow, Christmas, I love Christmas Day, you know, the giving of presents. And it's more about the giving these days and then receiving because, you know, socks and jocks can only go so far every year. But that's okay. Uh, you know, when I was younger, it was Meccano sets and, you know, b- motorbikes and things like that, but n- not these days. That's okay. But it's just the giving sometimes to see the excitement in my grandchildren. Uh, and also the excitement of just even coming to church and just worshiping and praising and just the excitement of people and being with people and e- food. Far out. Why does my life revolve around food? I don't know. But anyway, love food. And, and on Christmas Day, you know, you have that, you know, you have those hams and you have all. And, and, then, I, and then I sit back and I realize, well, why do I like Christmas Day? And then I start to think, well, you know, sometimes you just like of what happens. But it goes a little bit deeper than that day, you know, than just what happens on that day. And sometimes I think I just probably crave after that feeling of just having family and friends and food and you know and food makes you feel good doesn't it unless you eat too much (laughs) which often happens but anyway and then you get sleepy and you just fall asleep somewhere for half an hour and then you do it all again at about five o'clock six o'clock at night you eat eat the leftovers you know (sighs) how i love to covet So, so we've got to be aware of the illusion of that because it doesn't last. And, the, and then there's something else about coveting. How do we respond? Cult, cultivate contentment. That's what we've got to cultivate. Because coveting doesn't lead to contentment, only a dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction with what we have got. Have you realized that? Uh, one of the qualities that God desires us to have is contentment in, in regard to how we handle the things of this life and, and whether they're good or bad things. He wants us still to live. Andrew talked about that, mentioned this morning, whether it's good or bad, we, we can have this element of just peace and contentment. And Paul actually says in Philippians 4.12, I love what Paul writes here. Great, he says, you know, I know what it is to be at need. I know what it is to have plenty, he says. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Uh, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Do you know where Paul writes that? He writes it from a Roman prison, his first imprisonment. He got in prison twice, um, uh, but the first time he was in prison, he writes it from a Roman prison. I just love his attitude. Here he is, he's not in a good place, and yet it doesn't stop him having this element of peace and contentment. How do you get that? I want to tell you where it comes from. It comes from knowing your God and His peace. It doesn't come, but Paul has got nothing in that prison. I had the privilege of being there in Rome, and once again, not totally sure, but they say that right beneath the ground, quite some meters below the ground, they found a prison. And they say, this is possibly where Paul and Peter were in prison. And I walked in and I thought, even if this is just an example of what Paul, and it would have been a great example of what Paul lived, and I thought, this is, this is, this is, this is terrible. Damp, wet, dark. You know, uh, there was no toilet, it was just a hole, you know, so far out. And yet Paul says, you know what, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. I know what it's like to have need and I know what it's like to have plenty. I love the reality of Paul's heart because a major part of contentment 
is having a positive attitude. I, I, I know people say, oh, you've got to have more than just a positive attitude. But you know, having a positive attitude is just not a worldly thought. Having a positive attitude to the situations we're in, whether good or bad, whether we have lots of something or little of something. It's saying, God, and we know our positive attitude comes from what we can, from Him, praising Him, honoring Him. See, coveting will play on our dissatisfactions. That's what it does. <sighs> I, need to, I need an upgrade on my mobile phone. And sometimes you do. Or I need a new phone. Or I need a new set of clothes. I just, I, sometimes you might. But don't make that the, heart, that, that the whole passion of your life. It plays on our dissatisfactions. You know, God asks us not to have an unhealthy complaining. Rather, He seeks the opposite. He actually asks us um, to have gratitude. And I find that gratitude and thankfulness can, dis, dis, um, it can start to wean us off that wanting things all the time. Because the truth is, people become obsessed about what they don't have. When we should be thankful about what we just do have. You know, a lot of the things, sometimes the things that people, I don't, I don't think a bit, I don't think you guys would do this, but sometimes the things that people throw out are perfectly okay. It's just that they want the new thing, you know? Or they, you know, they want the latest. And so it, it becomes this obsession about what they don't have. A man was envious of his friends because they had the large and really nice houses. And so he says, I know what I'll do is I'll just put my house on the market. He went to a real estate agent. He listed it with the real estate agent. And a little time later, he's reading, a he's reading the classifieds in his newspaper. And he read that he, 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 there was this house described that he was like, far out. That's the house I want. He rang up the real estate agent and said, I he, he described the ad, he described the house. And he said, I want to see this house as soon as possible. When can we go and see it? The real estate agent asked some more questions to the man and said, sir, that's your house. Learn to be content and thankful for what you got. You want to destroy co that covetousness? Here's the last thing. As the singers come, be a giver. Be a giver. Perhaps the best antidote for coveting is to be generous with what we have. Jesus actually talks a lot about giving more than, you know, Jesus actually, funny enough, he talked about giving more than he talked about faith or prayer. <laughs> is faith and prayer not as important as giving? Not at all. Not at all. Actually, faith and prayer are probably more important than giving. But the reality is, is that sometimes we can be good in certain spiritual disciplines like faith and prayer, but we can be really slack in the other spiritual discipline of giving. And so Jesus spoke about that because he says, out of prayer and faith, sometimes it needs to come. Do you realize, he says, one of the actions of that can be just giving, being generous, just helping the poor, whatever it may be. The discipline of giving. Jesus actually said something really important about giving in Luke, uh, recorded in Luke's gospel. Sorry, not Luke's gospel. In the book that Luke wrote, after he wrote his gospel, he wrote Acts. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he says, I've, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, It is more blessed to give than to what? Receive. receive. It's more. You know, when I love receiving... And I'm blessed when I receive. And I've received some blessings. But it says here, giving is more of a blessing. Why is it more of a blessing? Why is it? Well, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons is, is that the antidote to, it's the antidote to materialism 
and the cure for COVID is this. And, and so we are not burdened by always trying to get more because it can be an incredible weight upon our shoulders to always be wanting to get more. And you know what I found? The more I worry about, the more I get, the more you can worry about what you got because you're trying to keep it, protect it, keep it safe, and you've got to buy more to make sure it's safe. You know, you buy a car, so you've got to buy maybe a bit of garage or a roller door, or you've got to buy some cameras to keep your house. You know, all those things might be quite practical and good. But you know what I'm saying? It has, a, it has this tendency to snowball. I've got this, so I've got to buy this. We love receiving, but it's more blessed to give because it keeps our hearts, it, it weans our hearts away. Giving weans our hearts of this whole wanting what we should, really don't need or wanting what others have. It weans us. And when we give, we loosen that grip on things and money and then it starts to not hold its attractiveness so that we want what others have got. John Wesley was an English evangelist in the 18th century. He traveled the length and breadth of England on horseback. 350,000 kilometers, they've estimated, he traveled on horseback for many, several decades. He preached to hundreds of thousands of people, saw thousands and thousands of people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and become Christians. But maybe what's not well known about him is his incredible commitment to giving. Do you know his first, he talks about in his diaries, his first um, uh, uh, income for the year for his first a year out on his own away from his family just preaching the good news of jesus he received 30 30 pounds for the year you might think that doesn't seem too much well you got to think back then it was worth a, it was a, a reason a pound was worth a reasonable amount of money 30 pounds for the year he kept 28 pounds for his own personal use in that 12 months and and then two pounds he gave to the poor so he gave uh, literally i think it was 90 how much of that was it 93% for himself uh, and 7% to the poor? And then every year, every year that went past in his ministry, he would continue to up the amount he was giving to the poor, but always kept the 28 pounds that he, he got his first year of, wor of life or working. He always kept it just the 28 pounds. So many, several decades later, he was still keeping 28 pounds, but giving away on his last one of his last years, he gave away, away 1,400 pounds in that year. That was every year then, to the poor. But he was only keeping 28 pounds for the year for himself. How did he live off that? I don't know. But anyway, that's what happened. Amazing, isn't it? So he was literally had reversed his giving. Now he was giving away, quite literally, 98% of his income to the poor and 2% he was keeping to himself. And yet when he died, he was quite a wealthy man. Isn't that amazing? John Wesley, how did he resist the desire to acquire? Even when he was earning larger and larger and larger sums of money each year by just being a giver, by just being a giver. It keeps it in the right place. And you may say, well, if I give it, I won't have it. So how can I? Oh, folks, have you tested God in giving? He's incredible. He will make, he will be your provision. How about we stand this morning? Thank you.